I love that song. Fast, slow, medium, rockin', it doesn't matter. That is a great, great song. How many of you have heard um, Ortega's version of this on a recording? If you haven't, you should check it out because it's really beautiful. Okay. Hey, by the way, uh, I know you guys, I've gotten a lot of calls from people praying for me and looking after me. Um, I have had one of those, as they say in German, Krankenhaus months uh, during August. And I, man, I really, uh, I've really appreciated the prayers and the love and uh, just want you to know that that's for real and uh, how much it helps. And uh, I'm here today. And uh, as I share the word of the Lord this morning and talk about what we're talking about, um, I can't help but have in the background running a prayer for the people that are in the path of Irma. And, uh, and I remember the wonderful, beautiful album that came out by a guy named John Michael Talbot and a song he wrote called Safe in the Eye of a Storm. And I pray this morning that people will be safe in the eye of a storm. Well, we don't like to spend too much time in the modern church talking about death. In the early church, they spoke about it all the time because you were probably going to die before your time. You know, and in the early church, people recognized that a courageous, natural death was the greatest testimony you could give to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And um, so I want to look at the hope of Christians. I want to kind of desensitize and debug this idea of moving from this life to the next when God has given us life eternal. Most human beings view death as the opposite of life. In fact, if life is good, then death must be the absolute worst that one could face. Now, if you've been a pastor and you've seen people be sick and suffer, you know that's not true. Because for many of us, our death will be our final total healing in the eternal presence of God. We spend hours hours and millions and billions of dollars trying to avoid the idea of death in our culture. My father-in-law spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on supplements, pills, exercise toys, and everything else so that he could live to be 130. And he was sure that he was going to. And I was with him shortly before he died at 82. Our cosmetic industry including the surgical side of that. Got nothing wrong with plastic surgery. Had to have it myself. But I, I, I just want to say that, that that industry tries to gloss over our aging processes. And our vitamin supplement diet obsessions might sometimes qualify in this, right? Because you can, you can push yourself so hard trying to live in a certain way that that's... <laughs> It's worse than dying a couple of the diets I've seen. But <laughs> give me, Lord, I want to be with you. Um, why do so many of us see death as discontinuous and disastrous and nothingness? The Apostle Paul wrote a lot and many of his letters from prison where he knew that his head was going to be asked of him. He knew it straight up, he faced it with courage. And with joy. And I want to read you a section from Philippians 1.19 and share a few things this morning, including some personal stories, if you'll forgive me. 
When old guys get up and tell personal stories, it's iffy. If I mention a band like the Doobie Brothers or something like that, uh, just forgive me, okay? Um, here's what Paul says in Philippians 1, 19 to 22. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision, the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed. Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Repeat that with me. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. That's our text for today. If I'm going on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body, convinced of this. I know that I will remain and I will continue with you all for your progress in the joy of the faith. Amen. And thanks be to God for his word. Passages like this, my brothers and sisters, carry us. I want to share a few recollections. I don't want to be morbid, but I've had three that I can think of really, really serious brushes with death. In other words, three times where I was pretty sure that God was going to want me sooner than this. The first was my call to ministry on March 25th, 1975, driving 50 on compact snow with snow tires in a Volkswagen station wagon with five people in it. A truck blocked a little Western-style town in central Oregon called Crescent. And I was unable to stop the vehicle while I was driving Nancy's car. That's how we met and began dating. I ruined her car, gave her a big lump on her head, two black eyes, and a knocked out tooth. We're still together 34 years, so I'm pretty, pretty sure she's forgiven me. But our car was totally crumpled. And when this accident stopped, I had the bed of a refrigerator truck right in my grill, and it never touched me. And other than that injury to my wife, which I still regret to this day, I lived, and as I was in an ambulance going to the hospital near Crater Lake, the Lord said to me, Randy, it is well with you. It will be well with you. You're mine. This is my claim on your life. You died here today. You serve me from here on out. Tried to live seriously into that. So I got big and fat, and I weighed 407. So I had this gastric bypass surgery and saved my life. And then I figured that I was like a triathlete or something, right? So I started scuba diving. I was out off the coast of California, scuba diving in a big current with a bunch of those beautiful orange Garibaldis and kelp off of Catalina Island. And I, I swam my tail off underwater in this current. When I got back, I was, I was sore everywhere by the time we got back. So I started taking a few Advil. This was on a Saturday night. I took a few more, and I didn't read the manual on gastric bypass surgery that says, don't take ibuprofen. And I was jamming ibuprofen, and because of my new model change stomach, every pill was hitting in the same spot. And it bored a hole right through my stomach called a perf. And I began bleeding, and I came within three and a half units of blood from bleeding out. 
and it took four to stay alive. And I passed out. I saw people standing over me with the paddles a couple of times. It was a harrowing experience. And I thought, here I go. This is it. Right in the middle of a doctor of ministry class. Who will replace me? And then in uh, 2003, I had this gastric bypass surgery I mentioned. And I was in the critical care unit because I had some reactions to the surgery and some stomach leakage. And people were standing over the top of me. I'd get shaken awake with a hospital lawyer and a doctor and a nurse asking me if they could do this and that to me. Mr. Rowland, we're trying to save your life. We're trying really hard. But you're on the ropes here. And... uh, I remember passing in and out and whirling and twirling and hallucinating with the drugs and out of the blue, laying there half conscious, my mind lights up with these exact words. I want you to know I have never memorized this because it's too long. When you're in your 60s and you try to memorize, you can't even remember where you started. Okay, so these words came to me almost visually and they were this. What is your only comfort in life and death? And unsuspecting, the Heidelberg Catechism appeared in my mind. And over and over again, in and out of consciousness, God drew me to this. And here's the answer that's provided in the long version of our catechism. You're going to hear it three times today because I'm going to recommend that you at least learn to paraphrase this. What's your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood, and he set me free from the tyranny of the devil. Part of the tyranny of the devil is making us afraid of death. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. These words were a saving comfort to me laying in that hospital. And here are some movements in terms of thought and worldview that I'd like to offer in light of Philippians 1 and Heidelberg 1. First of all, if we really consider Christian doctrine, theology, and spirituality, death is not discontinuous. It is teleological. It is the end to which we strive, the reward to which we attain. Still remember my mother-in-law dying at University Hospital and freaking out the nurses. As one nurse comes in, she goes, Mrs. Murray, how are you doing this morning? She goes, I'm just waiting for Jesus to come and get me. And a couple days later, he did. We knew she was going. She was in the hospital. But she just was emboldened in this faith, quoting scripture right to the end. From disastrous, I want you to think of this, death is not disastrous, it's glorious. I want to put this in aesthetic terms. From disastrous to glorious, from the worst thing that could happen to, in many instances, the best. Literally glorious, because we enter into the glory and presence 
of our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, here's a big question for all of us. Since Jesus is shaping an eternal relationship with each and every one of us, and he's serious about that no matter where you are in the journey. If you're sitting here today and you're pre-journey, you're one step into your journey, you're 47 years into your journey, 50 years into your journey, it doesn't matter. Jesus Christ is still shaping his relationship in us and that spurs us to, only, to totally own the fact that we belong to him. Is my fear of death impeding my life? Is your fear of death impeding your life? Are you living in denial or embracing the reality is glorious? The freedom in it is crazy, absolutely crazy. When Jim Elliott, a great missionary, died at the hands of a tribe that didn't know who he was, down in the Amazon, his, it was horrible. He was young and he was a great missionary. His wife lived on to tell his story. And they said to her, what was it like when Jim died? She goes, Jim didn't die there. Jim died on his knees when he was 14 years old. That's where he died. That's where you died when you came to faith in Jesus. That's done. The fear, the sting of death, the taunts of the devil no longer holds sway over us. Am I wasting money and time on the denial of death? Think about that. Am I wasting time and money on the denial of death? Now, these are questions I'm asking myself, so I get to torture you with them this morning, okay? And how can we prepare ourselves? Literally, how can we prepare ourselves for that great day where we're whole again? Literally think about and meditate on the beauty of heaven the reality of God, the eternality of life. And here's what I'm going to suggest from my three really pretty dramatic experiences and a lot I've had with people that I only want to, you know, focus on those, those things I shared is that memorizing scripture, even paraphrasing it, memorizing or reading creeds that are faithful interpretations of the scripture and having them soak in you, marinating those those are the, the gas, the fuel, the food that you need when the enemy strikes, when death knocks, and we want to be afraid. And God encourages us to be courageous right to the last bit. So, literally, do some self-talk. To live as Christ, to die as gain. When you start worrying about your life, your gains and your losses, to live as Christ, to die as gain. At least memorize that and use it to get your mind right and tune you to heaven. Because thinking about all that goes on here in these crummy bodies, I'll tell you, you know, aging is not for wimps. And, uh, and this whole thing can be really tough without Jesus. I can't imagine the dread. So I'm grateful that you are in his hands and that if you're not in his hands, you'll take on the serious business of getting there in a hurry. Now, before we come to the table of heavenly food and drink, where we ponder the eternal nature of our bond with Christ, why don't we confess our eternal destiny together by reading aloud Heidelberg Catechism 1. Will you join in this as we conclude this morning with my message. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I'm not my own. I belong to body and soul 
in life and in death to my Savior, Jesus Christ. Do it like you mean it. He has fully paid for my sins with his precious blood. And he set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not anything fell from my head. Over in heaven, all things work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing to ready and um, When I ask you to say an amen to that, I want them to hear it on Aurora Avenue. Amen, church? Amen. All right. Come to the Lord's table, Brother Mark. It's all yours. <laughs>